Lord, I just ask now that you would help me in just presenting your word with hope, with conviction, and Lord, with creativity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the, how the Bible indicates that God works through the storms of life. And throughout the Bible, you can find stories of literal storms, thunder and lightning and tornadoes and whatnot, where God was actually trying to communicate through those things, communicate discipline to teach or change a person or change a people group or change their course. There are also stories of people who th- went through metaphorical storms, what we call storms of life. Last week I shared how during storms of life, it's not the best time to run from God or be mad at God or to ignore God. During the storms of life is usually the best time to invite Jesus into the boat with you. It's usually the time that you need Him and you want Him to communicate and you want Him to help direct your course. He's the best one to help you navigate through a storm. He knows the destination, and He knows where He's trying to take you. Uh, Today, we're we're still not trying to answer fully why God allows the storms of life, but we're just wanting to acknowledge that God does work through them. Uh, The following series, we're going to be, we're calling it the Why series, and we are going to talk about why is there suffering, why is there evil, why does God allow these things if He is good? And we'll look at that. But today, we're just looking to just admit that God does work through these things. And today, especially just want to talk with you about how we can have peace in the midst of those storms and how you can do that. You know, the whole book of Job is about the story of a man in a major storm of life. And Job asked God, why? He asked him why. And Job, Job wants to bring his case before God. He wants, he wants to say, God, why has this happened? Because there's no, no reason why it should have. You know, because he hadn't done anything wrong. Yet he was suffering. Job gets some answers from his friends. He has some friends that come and visit him. And, and in general cases, those answers were true. But not for Job and his situation. They were not the correct answers for his case. Job's friends were doing pretty good at first. They came and they sat with him for seven days. And they just wept with him. Sometimes I think that's probably the only response we need to have with some of our friends who are going through the storms of life. We we just need to zip it and not say anything. Because where Job's friends went wrong is when they actually opened their mouths and started talking. Now God... He does speak to Job out of a literal storm. But God never gives Job an answer. Why? Why did he allow those storms to batter his life? But Job, after he hears God speak, after he hears him speak, Job says, I withdraw my case. I withdraw my case. And he basically says, I've heard you and I've seen you, God. And right now, I just don't need to know why. I don't need to know why anymore. And that was it. Today, I just want to share with you a few examples of the storms of life. And I'm not saying that you'll ever know why. I'm just saying that with these examples, maybe you'll understand what I'm trying to talk about 
in the fact that God works through these storms. Stories that I'm going to share with you today certainly aren't at the Job level, but still what I would call storms of life. Um, my senior year of high school, I was uh, moving at a furious speed. I was, I was wrestling for the school team. I was taking a lead part in a high school musical. I was leading a student-led Christian outreach on my campus. I was trying to make good grades in my classes. And the only thought I gave to my future was that I wanted to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And beyond that, I didn't have any details. I didn't know what I was going to do. And on my graduation day, all my friends asked me, they asked me, how come I didn't have any scholarships? And as I talked with them, I found out that you actually had to apply to a school before you received a scholarship. Somehow that, that little detail escaped my attention. So, but oh well. Even though you know, I hadn't played football my senior year, I, I, I got a letter from a small college to come and play. And so I thought, hey, why worry? Got that little thing in my pocket. Don't, don't need to make any real plans. And so forward I went. Celebrated my 18th birthday and, and uh, was off into summer. And I went to Thailand for a month-long uh, missions trip. I thought, you know, I need to check this out. I think I might want to be into missions. And uh, before I left, I was uh, uh, invited to be part of this uh, uh, traveling ministry of students talking to students. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. I'll pray about that. And I was off. Again, just wasn't slowing down, wasn't thinking. And then on the missions trip, uh, on the missions trip, there was a, a Nashville recording star that was there with us. And and we got to know each other, and then he invited me to come and, and work his soundboard for him on his first tour. And I, I was real excited about that, but then I said, you know, I've just got to pray about it. I don't know what, what to think about that. You know, there's this, other, this traveling ministry thing, and there's school. And I had no idea. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had a lot of things in front of me, but I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But I, I, and, and the problem was is that I knew nothing. I knew nothing about really stopping and seeking the Lord for direction in my life. I didn't know how to do that. Halfway through the trip, I, I ended up in the hospital in Chiang Mai. Uh, it's this northern city up around the border of Burma, what used to be Burma. And, and it was through a fluke uh, infection that just, I, I nicked my ankle, just a little abrasion, and I didn't clean it out. And uh, for seven days while I was in the hospital, they debated whether they were going to amputate my leg off uh, or if they could get me stable and back to the States for some better antibiotics. And uh, so that was, you know, seven days uh, in a hospital bed with nothing to do but talk to God. And God finally had my attention. He finally slowed me down. Now, I hope he doesn't have to put you in a hospital to slow you down to get you to talk with him. But with me, he did. And during that time of, of talking with God, I, I realized that life was short. And in the light, of the brevity of life and the length of eternity that I really wanted to make decisions that would be decisions for the kingdom of God. And I wanted to follow Him. And so I made some decisions at that moment that altered the course of my life forever. And I didn't know at the time that when I was in the hospital and I was making those decisions, that those decisions were going to alter my course for my life. I didn't know it at the time. I can look back at it now, and I can go, that's what was going on. I didn't know why in the moment, but God allowed a storm of life, put me in a hospital bed, allowed me to slow me down so I could finally listen and surrender 
and alter my course. Fast forward my life about 10 years. I'm 28, married with two children, ordained as a pastor, working with youth at a very large church. And the pace of this church is very frenzied. And in my zeal as a young pastor to, to serve God and His people, I began to follow that bullet train pace so fast that my wife and my children couldn't follow me and join with me in the ministry that was going on. And I was, I was wanting to be a youth pastor forever. And I never wanted to leave that church I was at. It was the church I grew up in. I had families and friends and connections in that city. And I, I just never wanted to leave that place. But I was just really making unhealthy choices between work and my family. And I knew things weren't right, but I just didn't know how to change things. I didn't know how to slow it. And I, I, again, I just didn't know how to slow down and seek God for what He wanted me to do. And at one point, Sherry, my wife, said to me, Shannon, our marriage, I see it like this big white sheet. And at the top, there's this little rip, just a little rip, probably about that big. But if you don't do something to change things, it's not going to take much for that sheet just to rip right in half and to rip our marriage apart. Well, that was pretty serious. And that shook me up, got my attention. And life was uh, really pressing in on me. And I didn't know how to meet the demands of the church and, and the needs of my family at the same time. I just didn't have any examples in front of me of a balanced life. Uh, and the pressure just kept coming, kept coming. I, I then left to take some kids on a mission trip uh, to inner city Chicago. And uh, while everybody was asleep in the van and I was driving along, uh, I started complaining, these, these complaining prayers to God. And, uh, and after I ran out of complaints and I still had five hours to drive, um, God began to work something inside of me. And He just let me know that He was going to show me something on that trip that was going to bring change. I didn't know what. I didn't know where, but He just put this expectation in me that something was going to happen on this trip while I was in inner, inner city Chicago with these kids. And during that week, as I continued to talk to God, my hands went from clenched fist around, I'm going to be a youth pastor forever. And I'm going to stay at this church forever to my hands being open, saying, God, whatever is best for your kingdom, whatever is best for my family and for me. So my hands went from this to this. And on the way home, on the way home from that trip, I was driving along and I just looked up at an interstate sign. And it was in the flash of about three seconds. But in that moment, again, I don't know how to explain it, but I just saw how life could be different. I don't know how to explain it, say it. Again, it was just in a flash of about three seconds, looking at an interstate sign. I don't remember the name of the city or the interstate. But that life could be different. And I welcomed it, instead of trying to fight it or resisting it. And I didn't know it, but God was allowing another storm of life to bring me to a point to change an attitude in me and a way of thinking in me. And when I got home from that trip, I was able to make some choices that were best for my family and best for my relationship with God and me. And part of that was, was resigning from my position 
at that church. A lot of other choices followed beyond that. But that was a storm of life that I didn't exactly know why, but I was beginning to figure out when those kind of things happen, I need to turn to God and seek Him and invite Him into my situation. And there was something else there, and I'll come back to it. But another story to tell you. Still learning, still learning, still growing here. A few years later, two more kids in the family. And my family was getting ready to move to Buffalo, New York for uh, joining a ministry there with Youth for Christ. And uh, right before we left, my daughter Annie uh, mysteriously lost her sight. She couldn't see. And there were hospitalizations, there were tests when we were there in Kansas. And then we moved to New York and there were more hospitalizations, more tests. And my wife and I were both working for the same organization. And so all this is going on. We're not sure what's going on with our daughter. It makes us scared. Um, We're working for a new organization. We're in a new place, a new state. No friends, no family. And then uh, 9-11 hits. Uh, The towers go down in New York City. It affects the whole state of New York. Uh, Buffalo starts losing money and uh, because it all gets all siphoned off and sent to New York City. And, uh, And so donations start going down at this Youth for Christ organization. And who are the new guys on the totem pole? Uh, me and my wife. And so, but it was nine months later that my wife, uh, after we moved there, nine months later, my wife resigns uh, to be able to take care of our daughter, who at that time had been diagnosed with MS, uh, which is an incurable, debil- debilitating disease that attacks the nervous system. And a month later, I was laid off from work. And during the whole year, during that whole year, we knew we were in a storm of life. We knew it. We felt it. We knew it was going on. Now, did I know why? Did I know why it was happening? No. Did I know why God would allow my daughter to have to suffer? No. I didn't. But I knew the things that I told Annie, that my wife told Annie. We said, Annie, is God good? Yes or no? Yes, God is good. Annie, is, is God powerful and in control? Yes or no? Yes, he's, he's in control. He's powerful. And Annie, does God love you? Yes, Daddy, Mommy, God loves me. So Annie, if God is good and he's in control and he loves us, then can we trust God in the midst of this storm? Yes. Yes, we can. So during that year, I wasn't moving at a furious speed. Everything had slowed down. And I was listening. And I was seeking God. I was finding out, what, did it, what, is, it, what is it you're doing here in our family, God? I can see that the physical things that are happening, but what is it? And I figured out what to do in storms of life. Finally. I was almost 33 years old, and I finally figured out how to make it through a storm of life. God was doing things in my life, but the storm wasn't just for me, and it wasn't all about me, but it was my whole family. It was the people around me. It was the co-workers and friends. God was working in all our lives through some of the circumstances that we were all going through. For three and a half years, 
It was storming. Three and a half years. And I didn't want to be in the midst of a storm. I'm not, not some kind of sick person that enjoys pain and suffering. I didn't want to be in a storm. But I had figured out how to live in the midst of a storm. And it's not like this. With your fist clenched to the sky. You can go through a storm like that, but I don't recommend it. You can go like that. You see, you can ha- live with peace amidst the storm like this. And this is how you can have peace amidst the storm. It's called surrender. It's surrender and inviting Jesus into the midst of your storm. Surrender and praise. You know, did you know that all the storms of life that you encounter, are, they're not just for you? Do you know that you could possibly be in a storm right now and it's not about you? It's about maybe some of the people around you in your life? The Bible records a storm that the Apostle Paul had to endure. But the storm wasn't for him. Paul was on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And he got on a boat and was under guard by a Roman centurion. And usually where there's a Roman centurion, there's a hundred soldiers with him. And along with those soldiers were other prisoners. And there were sailors. There were about 276 people on a boat. And they were trying to cross the Mediterranean to get to Rome. And after so, it was during the winter, not a good time to be sailing. And after some trouble and loss of time, Paul warns the centurion to stay at the harbor in Crete. He tells him, I think it would be best or we're heading for trouble. But the centurion, he doesn't listen to Paul but follows the advice of the captain and the owner of the ship. I mean, I mean, what does Paul know? He's not a sailor. But as they sail, a storm of hurricane force hits them, and they're driven off course. And the sailors, they start throwing cargo all overboard. You know when sailors start doing that, you know you're in trouble, because the sailors are scared. That's their money. That's their paycheck. If they're throwing their paycheck off the boat, they're not worried about the paycheck anymore. They're worried about their life. And so they were doing what they could to save the ship. After several days of not being able to see the sun or stars to guide them, the sailors, they give up hope. They just, they stop, stop messing with the rigging. They stop bringing up the sail, bringing down the sail, stop throwing things overboard. They just give up. And at this time, Paul speaks. And he speaks to the crew and he tells them that God is going to preserve their lives. And later... The prisoner who nobody listened to at first, everybody is listening to now for some reason. And he's given directions to the centurion. He's telling them, hey, don't don't let those sailors desert us. Don't let them take the lifeboat. They can't do that. We've all got to stay together. God said if we stay together, we'll survive and make make it through this storm. He tells everyone to eat, to have strength, because they're probably going to have to swim to shore. And so everybody listens to him, and they start eating. And then there he is. He's leading a prayer. For the whole group, they're on the ship. All of a sudden, this prisoner, who was a nobody, everybody's listening to and following his directions in the midst of this storm. What's God doing? Then the ship runs aground and breaks into pieces, and they're going to have to swim to shore. The soldiers want to kill the prisoners, but the centurion stops them because he wants to spare Paul's life. Somehow, Paul has become endeared to him. Some sort of relationship has been built there. Some sort of connection. 
And all 276 people on the ship make it to shore. None of them drown. And on the shore of this island called Malta, they're brought into the home of the official of the island. And Paul prays for the official's sick father. And he's made well. And then all of a sudden, word gets out. And all the sick people on the island are brought there to the official's house where Paul is at. And Paul begins to pray for them and heal them. And at the end of the winter, they stay for the whole winter. They don't leave. They don't have a ship. But at the end of the winter, the people of the island honor Paul and his crew by resupplying them so they could leave on the next passing ship that, that wintered there. Now why in the world did that storm happen? I know it was a physical storm, but there was also a storm of life that was going on there. I don't know. I don't know why that storm happened. Because God communicated to Paul that he was still going to get to Rome. So it wasn't about changing Paul's course. And it wasn't about changing something in Paul. It wasn't like there was some giant character defect that, Paul was work- that God was working on to shape Paul. So was the storm for the islanders? Was the storm for the official of the island and his father? Was it for the, sailor, for the sailors? Was the storm for the centurion? Was the storm for the soldiers? Was it for some of the sick people on the island? I don't know. But it seems like God may have been accomplishing many things in many people's lives, all except Paul. So did you ever think that maybe God would have you go through a storm, not for your sake, but for the sake of the people around you. Did you ever think that? He might do that. In the Bible, you see God taking time to shape His people through difficulties, through hardships, through trials. Sometimes the number 40 is repeated several times over. God took 40 years to shape Moses in the desert before He called Moses to lead His people out of Egypt. God trained Joshua for 40 years in the desert before He used Joshua to take the promised land and lead the Israelites into it. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days before He began His ministry. Have you ever thought that God might take 40 years to work on you? That He would take the time to do that in your life? My father-in-law would sometimes say it takes God 40 years to grow a man. And that He would spend 40 years on just one man, just for that man to say one thing at one moment on one street corner to a guy next to him and say his little sentence and then that guy would go and change the world. I believe in a God who cares enough about us to do something like that. I do. Look, I know there's a lot of garbage that happens in life that is the result of sin in this world. And sometimes we get hit with other people's sins. We do. Or the consequences of their bad choices. Other times, it's, it's just like Paul. He had to go through a storm because he was drug into it because others wouldn't listen to him about making a wise choice. Regardless of the how and the why, the storms of, of, of the storms of life, you can have peace in the midst of the storm. While a prisoner, while a prisoner, the Apostle Paul wrote about having peace of God. A peace of God that transcends all understanding. You know what kind of peace transcends all understanding? You know what that is? That means it's something that it doesn't make sense 
we use our mental faculties, and it says, for there are all reasons, all logical reasons, you should not have peace in this situation. You should be flustered. You should be out of sorts. You should be flying off the handle. But for some reason, you have a peace that is unexplainable. Some of you have run into folks like that. And that is a testimony to God and what He does, and what He can do through His people and through His children. He says that this peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In another of his letters, he writes, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And in the Greek, what that really is saying is let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Sometimes you get some things thrown at you and you just need to call it out. Say, you're out of here. Not, 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 not going not gonna to take that thought. Not going to hang on to that. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. You know how you can have peace in the midst of, the, of a storm? And this is what I learned. And I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm saying it again because you need to hear this and you need to see it. This is how you have peace in the midst of the storm. It's a surrender. And it's a trust in a God who cares for you and loves you. And He'll love you in the midst of that storm. But you got to do it like this. Surrendered. That's how it works. Just because you surrender though, and you trust, it doesn't mean that God's going to take away the storm. I'm sorry to say that. But it is the way we invite God into our storm. It's how we allow Him to guide us. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, got to see the storm before it actually hit, before she entered into it. I mean, she was getting ready to hit, go into a storm. I mean, she was going to be made pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit before she was married. You know what kind of rumors go around that? You know what happens to your family when something like that happens? Terrible. Tough things. But after an angel of the Lord told her, that was what was going to happen. You know what she said? She said, with open hands, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That is a surrendered attitude and posture before God. You know, in the final scene at the cross, we see it with our Lord and Savior. He did the same thing. As Jesus was hanging there, gasping for air, a storm began to brew overhead. And the sky grew dark between 3 and 6 p.m. It grew completely dark. And somewhere during that storm, Jesus, who suffered for the sake of others, said words of surrender to the Heavenly Father. And He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. And that was a posture of surrender. And that was a posture of saying, I trust you. Surrender and praise. It's the best response to find peace in the midst of a storm. A posture that welcomes Jesus. Now I know that uh, in the storms of life, sometimes we're, we're scared. We want to clench our fists. We want to hang on to what we know and what's familiar. 
us the time that we cling to Christ. We invite Him in. I know uh, what we've been talking about isn't always the most exciting thing to talk about. But I just want you to know, there's lots of us here going through it. And so it might be helpful if we look and see how people in God's Word, God's people, how they handle these storms. So sometimes we've we got to talk about these things. We can't ignore them. We can't pretend that life is all happy sailing and everything's blue skies. It's not reality. God, right now, I pray that you would help us to be able to trust you. Lord, I pray that for those of us who do have smooth sailing right now, we do have the blue skies. Lord, I pray that we would be the ones who would be able to surround those who are going through the storms be able to lift them up in prayer, Lord, that we would help carry burdens. Lord God, give us compassionate hearts. And remember the times that we went through storms and how, Lord, how you held us and guided us through it. And Lord, I pray that we might be encouragement. And Lord, I pray that we won't be like Job's friends who uh, gave a lot of words, a lot of answers that just didn't mean much. Lord, I pray we'll be the kind of friends that will sit Weep with those who are weeping, mourn with those who mourn. But Lord, at the end, that we'll be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. God, thank you. And we recognize that you do work in the midst of storms. We don't know why, but we recognize your hand. And we praise you in surrender. Amen.